0: Welcome to the Property Developers and Investors podcast, where we explore the detail of what it really takes to achieve great success in the business of property developments and investments. Now, let's get into this week's episode. Well, good evening and a very warm welcome to the Raising Private Investment webinar. I'm Mark Stokes and a very warm welcome, Nigel Green. How are you, sir? Very
1: well, thanks, Mark. How are you? You have a good day today? Yeah, very good.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've been involved in lots of things, business things. So, uh Yeah, really focusing on this webinar tonight, I mean, it's uh, something we've been, uh, we very rarely do evening webinars because it's all about family for us. But this is such an important subject and one that many people really trip themselves up on. And there's a real mindset focus around this subject. So we wanted to make sure we could have as many people as possible on this webinar. And uh, by the look of the numbers ticking up there, you know, this is going to be a great session. So as always, those of you who don't know the webinars that uh, Nigel and I do, you know, we put a lot of detail in, a lot of thought. And it, that's because we walk the walk and talk the talk. This is what we do every day in many of our businesses, not just property businesses, in many of our businesses. So we understand what it takes, the nitty-gritty, we understand the risks, and we certainly understand the opportunity that can be created if you do this right. And that's what it's all about, Nigel, isn't it? That due diligence and, yes, yes. Uh, and, and doing things the right way.
1: Very much so, and you know, since we left the, the corporate world—gosh, nearly nearly six and a half, seven years ago now—you um, know, it was very much finding that model that is replicable and repeatable, and you know, from a from a compliance and a, a confidence point of view, really, just just making sure that. Our investors stay with us, on to the next one, on to the next one. And, you know, the model's been proven, hasn't it? And, you know, we're going to share some of the the successes tonight, which is uh, going to be great. And uh, hopefully give everybody that confidence to go forward and and raise the private capital for their opportunities and deals. So really looking forward to it. It's going to be good. Good
0: stuff. Well, I think everybody's had time to join. So let's dive in. So this is about raising private investment for your business in a confident and compliant manner. And I really want to focus on those two points. We'll come back to uh, compliance and confidence time and time again here. Okay, so let's start off with a, with a, a quick example here. This is a development that we started about uh, two and a half years ago, as Eureka House, uh, about 13 million GDV development in Crawley in Sussex, and uh, Nigel, this was i think forty four apartments permitted development
1: it was it was we We managed to obtain this via one of our sourcing agents as well which was which was great um, got into the deal we looked at where we could add huge amounts of value. You can probably see the the upper floor there, um, the grey, the grey extra floor. We, we popped another floor on, you know, and we got another nine units out of that mark, didn't we? Which which raised the, the overall to 53. So, yeah, so it's a lovely development and... considering where it's where it came from and where it's going to go to you know it's it's a real we're we're very proud of uh, this particular one and really looking forward to that transition period which we're in at the moment going from construction into finished units you know sparkle clean and and out to the open market for sale or rent you know whichever the case may be but uh, it was a great great site
0: and that was um, we got permitted development for the base units, and then we went for full planning on the upper floors before uh, airspace rights on pd and the private capital was a fixed interest on that uh, on that particular development and we'll show you some other examples where where that can vary just to illustrate we do different things you can do different things um, and we go into a lot more detail on our developers' program and mentorship. Uh, and mastermind on on the structuring. But for now, you know, that's fixed interest. But here's a question for you. And we've got a chat box here, and we'd like you to use the chat box here. I think there's something for everybody to learn. Lots of golden nuggets throughout the evening. So how much percentage profit is there in a development? So don't worry about the, the size of it. Just write in the chat box, what percentage profit is there in a development? Let's see what some of those um, some of those figures. So we've got 25 percent, 20, 25, 25, 30, 20, minimum, 20, 21, 25, 23, 25 to 30, uh, 22, 25, 100 percent, 25, 40, 30. Gross or net. that's an interesting point, 25. Endless if done right, uh, 25, 25. So I think we could probably say the mean there is somewhere between 20 and, and 25, um, and there's a range. So really appreciate that. Thank you. That's uh, that, that's great feedback. Yeah. So when you're raising private capital, we believe there's a, a real philosophy here. It's a philosophy that we've had for um, over 25 years in, in business. Nigel and I have been in business for about 30 years So for for many years, and that's the creation of shared value. So what we didn't say there is how much profit is there for the developer in the development. So how much profit is there in the development itself? So let's have a look at who the recipients are for the creation of shared value. Well, correct, our team, ourselves, our stakeholders, so in terms of developer profit, yeah, 20%, 20, 25 30%. Um, the answer lies as well in how much contingency as well. I think somebody mentioned the point on gross net. Um, so, you know, really good point there. There's also the, the the funders and the private investors. The private investors are getting a return as well. This is compounding. This is adding up that creation of shared value. The vendors, agents, tenants—you know, counterparties under contract—they're going to make a return. The contracting supply chain might be your main contractors, their subcontractors, suppliers, and we've got our professional team as well. They're making a, a nice return. Our legal team, and then also there's the social impact and the impact into the local neighbourhood. This building, um, zero House that we saw there, we pulled out over two thousand. Um, hypodermic needles and about 4,000 other items of drug paraphernalia. Um, We're very clear that to just make a profit and leave society to sort its own problems out is not a responsible way. Um, This is about creating social impact and it's social impacting investing and our investors love that. So we set up with Cornerstone Place, we set up a business which helps alleviate homelessness. It's akin to carbon offsetting um, where we can't solve necessarily the problems of habitual drug taking in Crawley, but what we can do is create and are doing 10 million homeless bed nights as an offset in that programme to not only transform buildings, but help to create solutions for society's tougher problems. So that gives you an example of the philosophy. You know, let's not just navel gaze and think of what is our bit. When you're working with private investors, you have to expand your peripheral vision and your horizons. You have to start taking into account your other counterparties, stakeholders, partners um, in whatever that, that structure is. We believe that's a philosophy that should be embedded in every business. And there's a real growing momentum here. Um, and investors will truly understand that. I'll give you an idea of some of the developments we've done over the years, um, those numbers are, are GDV. So it's knocking on 100 million of, of developments there, 300 odd apartments, lots of new build houses as well, and commercial units. And uh, around over 30 million, probably about 32, 33 million of, of private capital has been raised since we left corporate life in 2015, mid-2015. So, you know, that's not counting power stations and data centres that we've been doing previously. So, look, we've not seen everything. We're certainly not complacent, um, but we've been through the mill a lot. We've seen a lot of economic cycles in our um, our 52, 53, 54 years on this planet and 30 years in in business. Um, And each one of the uh, every precious pound that's been invested in the developments really important we structure that effectively. And um, this is a uh, Waybrook House. Waybrook House, that was a, a lovely project, wasn't it, Nijin? Well, uh, yeah. God, Godalming near Guildford in Surrey.
1: Very much so. This particular one, Mark, was a direct-to-vendor, wasn't it? Um, opportunity that we secured, um, one that t- had a bit of a gestation period uh, from the point where we put an offer letter into the point we got actually a response to the letter, which, which was almost 12 months. Um, I think I think the, the the letter had gone through the letterbox and been eaten by the local dog, I think. But anyway, it, it, we got a call about 12 months later um, and it was from actually the, uh, the chairman of the company that, um, I mean, he personally owned this building, didn't he, but he, he leased it back to his company and he was, he was hugely apologetic saying, I'm, I'm really sorry, but we've, we literally, we've had a board meeting and, um, you know, the sale of the. Uh, the property came up and I'd given it to one of my directors to kind of make contact and I think he'd forgot or got overwhelmed by the, the amount of workload he had at that point. <laughs> and he said, look, I'll deal with you. Can we do a deal on this building? And that's really how it went, wasn't it Mark? And um, you know, time had passed, um, you know, we'd moved on to other things and, and the, the price that we offered actually to the price we bought it at was quite a quite a big difference into the hundreds of thousands of pounds in the in the downward position so it was great um we managed to secure under permitted development uh, rights at the time um 22 units so 11 11 flats on each each floor we had uh, thoughts about going up for another floor on this particular one but uh, we just felt on this particular one what we wanted to get in get it done and get out didn't we you know a, a very quick turnaround because we know that if we go in for planning we, we're starting to inject planning risk time or those sort of the uncertainties of the, the planning process so so we decided to just get this done but we'd actually agreed a, an overage agreement with the the vendor as well just in case we we went up um, and that would have worked for all parties so but a great. A great deal and you can just see the uh the water's edge there at the bottom and that is you know although it is a cgi that is reality as well there was actually a, a canal there um which was it was a controlled canal as well um so there, there was no um you know water movement in terms of um you know if getting a deep or shallow or whatever it we just maintained that all the way around so from a flood risk point of view it was it was out of the flood zone uh that was going to cause us any problems so we got Got PD, got it done, and and got out. So that was a that was a great opportunity.
0: Yeah, great great return for our, our private investors as well. Um, that was a profit share. That was um, a number of number of years ago. I think all the units were sold. In fact, we retained twenty percent of those units mm. uh, ourselves, and they've seen significant capital appreciation over the last couple of years as well. Which is uh, again. Um, Just a a quick uh, reminder and and welcome actually to to those people who maybe haven't met Nigel and myself, we'd love to get to know you and meet you. Um, We run an event um, which we've just started again post-COVID, but for the last four or five years, you must have heard of it, um, Brooklyn's Property Grand Prix, Mercedes-Benz World, um, which is a real high performance venue. We've both got a passion for Formula One. you know this is the home of the first British Grand Prix, the only banked motor racing circuit in the UK. Um, and it's a phenomenal venue steeped in Formula One history heritage. You've got Concord just around the corner. Um, mm-hmm. So Thursday the 10th of March, we've got the network evening, uh, six till nine. And, uh, and then networking at the bar afterwards. There, um, so there's a, a QR code. Come along, see us. There's a free drink at the bar for you as well, uh, courtesy of uh, of Nigel and myself. And we've got a this is the first time we've announced it actually a really special speaker, um, good friend of ours, uh, Mr. Brian Wood, MC, Military Cross. He's a Sunday Times best-selling author of Double Crossed. Um, that was the story of his military time in Afghanistan. Um, And they made a film of him called Danny Boy. Um, Mm. He was a a former colour sergeant um, in the Princess of Wales Royal Regiment. Um, And he went through an awful lot in Afghanistan, but his fight only truly started when he came back. And I'll leave the power of that story um, to Brian to to walk us through. So um, book your ticket brooklyn's is about inspiration it's about passion it's about challenging traditions stepping out of your comfort zone addressing challenges being resilient be there that is going to be a special there's going to be 200 people there that night so book your tickets because we will sell out on that event so really looking forward to that one night it's going to be truly inspirational
1: it will it will absolutely can't wait
0: give you an idea of some of the numbers that we get at brooklyn's uh that was from november we had 312 people there um in uh, january huge numbers again um so uh just just brilliant having inspirational people there great speakers there's a chance to network and there's a real resurgence of that, that want and need. And we're, we're having our annual ski retreat. We're going day after tomorrow. Another example of people connecting. Um, and that's where relationships are forged at events like this. And so, uh, yeah, really, really looking forward to that. So just snap the QR code or go to our website, ecraacademy.co.uk, find out a little bit more about what we do. And we'll see you there. We'll share a drink with you. Okay, so let's uh, have a poll. Um, A lot of mindset around finding private capital. Um, I spend a lot of my personal time dealing with, um, with questions from mentees and helping them through, we've had three calls today on on this uh, subject. Um, so this poll is: what are your concerns on raising private investment? So if I just start this, it is multiple choice. So just have we'll open that for sort of thirty seconds. And um, what are those subjects? So you know, what are your concerns? Lack of confidence. I don't, and this is anonymous, multiple choice, so just go for it. I don't know anyone with any money. I feel uncomfortable asking for money. Where do I even start? Raised some investment before, but I don't know how to scale. I've got concerns about compliance, and I've got that fear of being judged or rejected. And I think if we're all honest, at some stage or other, we have all felt most of those. During our, during our time, it's natural. It's natural. And today we're going to debunk a few myths and look at different approaches on how you can have proper, structured, intelligent, compliant discussions with fellow members of the human race. Because your first meetings, you're not meeting with potential investors. You know, don't be blinkers and don't put crosshairs on somebody and think, oh, are they good for a few quid? You're meeting with fellow members of the human race. So the last few seconds, please, if you just uh, finish off your your vote or votes there.
1: This is going to be interesting.
0: Yeah. Right. Let's end poll and let's share some results. Okay. So what have we got there? We've got, so lack of confidence, 27%. I don't know anyone with any money, 21%. Feel uncomfortable asking for money. Twenty nine—that's quite high—and don't even know where to start. Thirty two percent. And really appreciate your honesty here. Um, raise some investment, but don't know how to scale. Thirty eight percent. Concerns about compliance. Thirty three percent, and quite rightly so. They, you know, we should all have concerns on compliance and really watch that that carefully. It's an ever-changing, so we can never be complacent. This is about evolution. Um. And fear of being judged seventeen percent, quite quite low on fear of being judged, but uh, really useful there. So we're going to come back to quite a number of these points um, throughout the course. So um, thank you very much for sharing. If you've if you've read any of our books, you'll have seen this quote before. I quote it time and time again. Uh, Does it make your car go faster? By the fantastic, sadly passed away uh, now. Sir Frank Williams. And um, there was a guy who drove that, no pun intended, drove that, you know, Williams Motorsport organization um, to the pinnacles of, of Formula One Stardom. Um, and he, you know, whenever somebody approached him with a requisition order, a purchase order, an invoice, he'd look them square in the eye. Does this expenditure make my car go faster? And there was a guy, singular vision, he knew. His car had to be sustainable and go around the track, not just once, but multiple times faster than any other car. Um, And he knew that it would be that aerodynamics package or the fuel or the engine or the clutch or the gearbox or whatever it was, had to be focused there, not on the niceties and and frills. Um, And so it is with entrepreneurship and running businesses, Nigel. You've got to focus on the things that make your car go faster
1: absolutely and you can just see how that that quote was very prominent well all the way through his life and his business but probably at the outset mark you know when he was starting his business and funding and trying to find investors to support and you know sell those investors the dream in terms of what he was trying to achieve and the vision these sort of things and you can see there's the responsibility to make sure there's not a waste of penny in that business because he's got, you know, there's a full focus on delivering the output, but he's got the, the investors to support and, you know, be respectful to as well. And and I, and I think that's just great. It's just wonderful. And, uh, you know, that just stops wastage, stops leakage um, of efficiency that could be directed somewhere else to actually make the difference. Um, I, I think that's a wonderful quote, Mark, and uh, I'm yeah. glad we putting that out. And And there's a guy as well
0: who overcame an immense amount of adversity in his life that stayed true to his values, his passion, never became, you know, um, uh, misjudged, misguided, um, you know, didn't feel as though the world owed him anything. Um, Quite incredible. So this is what the cockpit looks on the roadmap moving forward in Formula One. Um, But what we want to understand is what is our economic equation? Yours might be earn, protect, invest. It might be as simple as that. Ours is in principle. There's a lot more layers of detail to that, but earn, protect, invest, earn, protect, invest. But everybody needs their economic equation. What are you trying to achieve? Start with the end in mind. You make your money on the way in these deals. You might crystallise the capital or cash flow on the way out, but you make your money by how you identify and manage risk on the way in. So we ask you this question, do you know what your economic equation is? This is so important. When you're starting up a business or starting a development, and this might seem uh, a strange thing to say, but investors don't come first because investors don't exist at this stage. You haven't got there yet. You haven't got anything. You haven't got investors on board. So when you're starting your strategy and your business plan, it starts with you. You're the one putting the effort in. You know, you're a director, you're a shareholder in a business. That business has a responsibility to its shareholders. So what is your strategy? What is your economic equation? Why have you set up a business? How do you want your income, your remuneration? Is it through salary? Is it through dividends? Is it through pension contributions? Is it through expenses? How are you going to recompense yourself? that will directly uh, lay the path for how you might structure your business and therefore the opportunity to share with potential investors. If A very crude analogy, if you were looking to buy, develop and retain the units, you might not be doing a profit share if you wanted to hold them in on your own. You might be looking at um, a fixed interest rate. So, you start with the end in mind and create that right model. The tail doesn't wag the dog here. You need to understand what is right for you. So write that on your notebook, and I hope you've got your notebook there. What is your economic equation? We come back to that time and time again, and it will evolve. You know, you might you might do profit shares to start off with, and you might move to fixed interest rates. Your security might evolve over time. Um, And you're not trying to please every potential investor, but you are trying to delight every investor. Once an investor comes on board, you will walk a 1,000 miles over broken glass to serve that investor, to communicate, to share that experience, and create a great return. There is a huge amount of responsibility and duty of care that comes with engaging um, with a private investor. And um, the private investor will be looking at you. And Nigel and I are private investors. We invest in businesses. And we look to see, does that business owner, does that developer, do they understand their own economic equation? Because quite frankly, if they go skint halfway through, our investment could be in jeopardy. So you've got to know what your economic equation is. You've got to understand that you've got a healthy return. And that will enable investors to decide whether they are interested in that particular investment. So we're starting at quite an interesting party. It's not, some, not a stage that you would typically think, but it's really important. And we're SaaS trustees, we're investors, we invest with our SaaS, we invest in businesses, we invest our own money in businesses, and we get this. You know, we, we wear a number of hats here. So we can walk a mile in other people's shoes. There's, we do like a good quote, Nigel, don't we? Walk a mile in another person's
1: shoes. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I was going to, I was going to say there that. Um, do you remember? Probably about six years ago, Mark. I, I think it was, it was one of our first developments out of the corporate world, and and um, we had a a vendor actually that that turned investor. So this particular opportunity, we we bought the his office off him, if you like, and converted it into flats. Uh, I don't think there's a reference to it in this in this presentation, but nonetheless, it's relevant. And uh, we went to see him afterwards, didn't we, Mark? And he was really interested in our model. And it was almost, you know, we never spoke about money, we never spoke about this or that, but he broached the subject to us and said, look, I'm really interested in how you... How, how your model works, you know. And we said, well, it's, you know, it kind of had, it has multiple components. We obviously bring bank funding and, and you know, the bit, the difference, you know, we, we, we invite our investors to come in. Enjoy the returns and those sorts of things. He went, oh right, that's really interesting. You know, do you think, do you think I could be considered for this um, going forward? And he was, yeah, absolutely. And, it, and we used the quote <laughs> didn't we? Because we, we, we were on an on about this, this, that, and the other. And he was trying to understand it a lot more. And we just said to him, you know, what does good look like to you? And and he kind of he kind of sat back in his seat, didn't he? Do you remember? And he, he went, mm-hmm. well, actually. And he and he then just spent five minutes talking to us about what good looked like to him in terms of investment and he set out the criteria he set out the security measures he set out the type of deals he liked like to invest in he was a property chappie anyway as well as a business individual and and these sorts of things and it's good just to kind of keep your ears wide open isn't it in this scenario not just talk at people just listen Listen to what they've got to say, and you can, you can create some really enduring relationships with investors. And and ultimately, an investor is looking to park an amount of cash to to make it actively earn money. You know, and of course, when the capital goes back and the interest is paid off, it's like oh, I've got to start again. I've got to find another investment. So if if we we find that investors tend to reinvest as well, which is which is great, and that avoids avoids the voids if you like of their investment and just keeps them moving forward so these some of these investment opportunities and relationships that you know we and you will um you know engage with over the years could be enduring they could be there for years absolutely years as the deals come in and and go out you know you could you could keep with that uh, investor for for many years to come so definitely pause the thought throughout
0: and if memory serves me um that particular conversation the gentleman did not trust the banks and he'd, he'd got millions in property but had zero leverage and so, his summary basically was if i was to invest with you guys i'd i'd be the bank i'd give you all the money that you needed absolutely. they're nice conversations to have over a breakfast
1: they are they are absolutely great and they, and that that was what he came back to us on wasn't it and he was he was talking about his his frustrations his anxieties around you know this fella had millions in the bank in the bank you know earning sub 1% at the time and he said it's just like it's just like Getting a pile of cash every year and just setting light to it, <laughs> and what he was referring to was the money was in the bank versus being investment you know, being actively invested out there, and the difference he was losing and he, yeah how it 's interesting how people put them in, into their words into their terms, and it really does resonate
0: yeah hugely and uh, this one that' will resonate with quite a number of people is uh, a lovely uh, development project in West London at Ironbridge House, about 19 million GDV. Um, bit of fixed interest and equity here. So this is a, a new build. We retained part of the facade, a new build, and a part conversion. But the conversion, we literally stripped out all the floors and we, we restructured the flooring. So we turned five storeys into six storeys uh, with a, a mansard on the roof. Um, So that's 57 apartments, uh, desperately needed apartments in West London. And again, private capital was a key part to enable a development like that to come to fruition, to help and be a pivotal um, asset class right in the heart of West London, addressing some of those core societal issues. Thanks for listening to this episode And if you would like more inspiration, why not join our Facebook group, Property Developers and Investors, or visit our website, www.equacademy.co.uk.